My name is John Shillington. I'm the executive advisor, advisor here at the church. Uh, I've been a part of our staff for 38 years. This is my 48th year in the ministry, and 38 of them have been here as a part of North Phoenix. So it's exciting. And I'm getting old. That means I'm getting older. Uh, I used to have David's job, and now uh, I couldn't do what they do, and they do such a tremendous job of leading us in worship. I got to tell you, every song that was sung this morning had something, as I was listening and singing, that spoke to my heart and said, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about this morning. As we begin this message, a uh, reminder that we started last week in a study of the seven feasts out of the book of Levit Levit Leviticus. Blah. Leviticus. Say that with me. Leviticus. There you go. We got it now. So Moses wrote the book of Leviticus. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. In Exodus, he's on Mount Sinai. God called him to the mountain to meet with him. He, taught, he spoke to Moses. He gave him the Ten Commandments. He gave him a whole lot of instructions. Moses came down from the mountain at the end of Exodus and the Lord gave Moses some specific instructions to build a tabernacle, to build an Ark of the Covenant where the Ten Commandments would, would be kept. And he told him, I want you to build a tabernacle and I want you to build it exactly like this. And he gave him the instructions and he said, I want that tabernacle to go with you and my people wherever you go over these next years. Now, just so you see what that looked like, here's the tabernacle, a depiction of what the tabernacle probably looked like. There it is. And you can see that it was portable enough to where when they moved, they could take it with them. And there's designated places in that tabernacle. And I'm gonna to go to the next picture now and you can see what those places are. There's the outer courtyard where the altar of burnt offerings is and the laver where people can, where the priests can wash themselves. And, and then that purple line is the first veil that goes into the holy place. And all of these things have particular definitions and reasons why they're there that we're not gonna be going into this morning. And I think there may be a come a time where we talk more about the tabernacle, but just notice that there's the holy place where there's the menorah, there's the table of showbread, there's the altar of incense. And then when you go through the second veil, you are in the holy of holies. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant is. And at the end of the book of Exodus, after the tabernacle is built, God's glory goes into the tabernacle. The presence of God moves into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies. And he makes it very clear that he is a glorious and almighty and powerful God. And no one can come into the Holy of Holies because his presence, his glory would kill them. They're not allowed to see the almighty God and his glory. And he makes those instructions very clear. And at the beginning of the book of Leviticus, that first line is, God called out to Moses from the tabernacle. He was no longer up on a mountain. He was with the people in the tabernacle and he called out to Moses. And over those next instructions that make up the book of Leviticus, what he basically did was said, this is how my children, my people will worship me from now and forever. And when you go and study the book of Leviticus, it's a lot of detail, a lot of really legalistic things that 
the children of Israel were doing to worship God. And some of those instructions were the seven feasts that we're talking about over these next weeks. And today, I have the great privilege of talking about the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. It's also called the Shabbat, Sabbath, Shabbaton, Sabbath of Sabbaths. It's the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. It's the one day where God says, this is the day that you have to put all of your attention on me and you have to be exactly where you need to be and do exactly what I tell you to do because this is the day where the high priest will make atonement for your sins as a people. One time a year, one time a year, every year, only one day. And that's what we're gonna be talking about this morning. It's a very interesting story it's a very interesting study that I would encourage you to go into Leviticus and in chapter 16, study it on your own because I won't be able to go into all the detail this morning in this message. But to study Leviticus 16 and what happens on the Day of Atonement and then to move into the New Testament and see what God has done through Jesus Christ is just an amazing study. And that's what we're gonna do some of today. And I pray that God will speak through his word because most of what I'm gonna do this morning is just allow his word to speak to us. That he'll speak through his word and teach our hearts, encourage our hearts, and excite us with who God is and what he's done. Let's pray. Father, this morning, speak through me. Speak through your word. We need you to come to this place. You're here already. You've promised to meet us here. And we need you to touch our hearts and to help us understand better and better and better who you are, all that you've done, how much you love us, and more about the amazing grace that we've sung about this morning and we know about through Jesus Christ. And it's his name that we pray. Amen. So the scripture in... Leviticus chapter 23 lays out all of the seven feasts. And in chapter 23, verse 26 through 32, this is what the scripture says. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, now on the 10th day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. The, the Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar. The seventh month happens sometime around September. It's called Tishri. That's the month, Tishri. On the first day of Tishri, they celebrate Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, and the Feast of the Trumpets, which I believe Pastor Noe will talk about next week. And then they begin nine, ten days of preparation towards the Day of Atonement. They begin to confess they begin to spend more time in prayer. They begin to prepare their hearts for what's going to happen 10 days later on the Day of Atonement, the 10th day of Tishri. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation where they'll assemble together for a holy purpose. And you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Afflicting themselves means they are going to deny themselves. They're going to fast. They're going to allow themselves to have some physical discomfort. And as they do that, it, it is designed to draw them near to God, 
to remind them that all of these mundane needs that we have of the body are not as important as our relationship with God. So for that day, they will afflict themselves and offer a food offering. And verse 28 says, and you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted, whoever does not choose to participate on that very day shall be cut off from his people. This is serious business. You shall not do any work uh, and it says, and whoever uh, does not do, it, whoever does any work on that day, I'm sorry, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. And you shall afflict yourselves on the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening. From evening to evening shall you keep your Sabbath. So, Evening, sundown of the ninth day of the month until about an hour after sundown on the 10th day of the month, the Shabbat Shabbaton took place, the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur. Some of us know that as the Yom Kippur. Yom means day, Kippur means atonement, and atonement is exactly what it looks like, at one meant. What needs to happen to make God and us one. It's the at one day. And these are the instructions that God gave to Moses. Before anything could take place, there was preparation. The priest had to prepare himself, and we're going to see in just a moment how he did that. It was very meticulously instructed. He was given very clear instructions on what to say, what to wear, and what to do. And he prepared himself. He probably rehearsed, because if he made a mistake and did something wrong, it could mean his death. If he entered into the Holy of Holies and did something wrong in there, it would mean his death. So it was a very important thing, and the priest prepared himself, only the high priest. And at this point, it was Aaron, the brother of Moses, who could enter the Holy of Holies. The place had to be prepared. All of that tabernacle that we saw was filled with sin. People of sin had been there and it had to be purified and cleansed and prayed over. And there was a specific way where that was to take place. And we'll see that in just a moment. And then the people prepared themselves for those 10 days. And actually even during the month of Elul, which was the month before Tishri, they began to prepare. This was a big day. They began to prepare themselves. And on this day, they prayed. And they had five afflictions that historically rabbis have said, these are the afflictions that the Jewish people will impose and live by on the day of atonement. atonement. First of all, no eating or drinking for 25 hours. Secondly, no washing or bathing for 25 hours. Thirdly, no anointing oneself, no applying lotions or any kind of perfume. You go without that. Fourth, no wearing of leather shoes. Now to the Jews, shoes were made of leather or wood. And so in order to discomfort themselves, they would not wear those shoes. And so as they walked, they were reminded, this is not very comfortable. It's hot sand. It's rocky. Sometimes it hurts. 
and then they wouldn't have marital relations during that 25-hour period. Five afflictions, pray, all of those things, no work, and then the high priest at the appropriate time would make the atonement. And I want you to, it's easier for me to show you what that might have looked like than me trying to explain it all to you, and it's much quicker. So watch this video. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place, with a young bullock for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with the linen mitre shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. And he shall take the two goats, and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the scapegoat, and the other lot for the Lord. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony, that he die not. And he shall take the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring his blood within the veil, and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat, and before the mercy seat. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord, and make an atonement for it, and shall take of the blood of the bullock, and of the blood of the goat, and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place, and the tabernacle of the congregation, and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat, and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel, and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. And he shall wash his flesh with water, and offer his burnt offering, and the burnt offering of the people, and make an atonement for himself and for the people. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you, to make an atonement for the children of Israel, for all their sins once a year. 
pretty interesting. You know, I assure you that they cleaned that video up a little bit because everything I've read, the sacrifices were pretty bloody. The priests got pretty bloody. And it was, uh, uh, it was not a, a real clean affair to watch, but it was necessary. And as I said, we could, there's so much that we could talk about and learn as we study chapter 16. And I, I would encourage you to do that on your own. It's so fun to read about this day and the other feasts. But for today, let's glean what I believe God would want us to kind of glean from what we've already talked about, what we learn from the scripture and from what we've seen of the scripture from the day of atonement. We learn that God is a mighty and powerful and holy God. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He is great and powerful and God hates sin. He cannot abide sin. And that relationship that was broken at the beginning of Genesis by the first man and woman, that relationship is broken all the way throughout history, including in our lives, and God cannot abide that. So he cannot atone sin and he cannot, he cannot tolerate sin and it must be atoned for. Secondly, the high priest and the high priest only can go into the Holy of Holies for the children of Israel and only one time a year to make atonement for all of the people. The, the pressure's on that high priest. It's, it's a whole lot more stressful than preaching a message at North Phoenix. He's got to do it exactly right to atone for the people all of their sins over the past year and allow them to be ready to live this next year until it can be done again. The high priest will mediate cleansing and forgiveness through sacrifice and the shedding of blood of the animals. Do you think it's random that God's instruction said there must be shedding of blood? You must shed the blood of a bull and shed the blood of a goat in order, and that blood will be used to cleanse and atone and help me forgive the sins of the people. Do you think that's an accident? Knowing what happened to Jesus? God is preparing and foreshadowing in the very beginning of the Old Testament what's going to have to happen in order for you and I to have a relationship with God that is a lasting relationship and a close relationship, an intimate relationship with our Abba Father. And it began right here. Blood had to be shed and had to be shed in exactly the right way. The next thing we learn is the high priest transfers the sin of the people to the goat. Now, you heard them refer to that goat as the scapegoat. Um, the scripture says that one goat will be a sacrifice to the Lord, as they showed, and the other goat will be for Azazel. And there's some disagreement about what that word exactly means, but historically, what that word has come to mean is the scapegoat. It's the goat that will allow the sin to be transferred onto its head. And many scholars say that the hands of the high priest were still bloody. That was very clean. But the hands of the high priest were still bloody when he laid his hands on that goat and he prayed, oh God, take all the sins of our people, the moral sins, the iniquities. And he prayed a prayer that said, please take the sins and put them on this goat. And then they led that goat into the wilderness as far away as they could. They let the goat go and obviously the goat would die in the wilderness. 
We're going to see in a little bit how that translates into the New Testament. And then lastly, we learn that atonement is temporary. In the Old Testament, atonement is temporary. It's not permanent, and atonement must be made every year on an annual basis. Can you imagine being a part of the children of God and every year, year after year, year after year after year, listen, for 1,600 years, they followed this ritual of atonement. 1,600 years, they worshiped God in this way and in the way laid out in Leviticus. Then, 1,600 years later, Jesus came. And everything changed. Not at first, but everything began to change as soon as Jesus was born. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Sons and daughters of God because of Jesus. That scripture, when it says in the fullness of time, it means at exactly the right time in history, God sent Jesus. Everything was exactly like it was supposed to be for Jesus to come. We don't understand God's timing. Why for 1,600 years did this go on, this kind of sacrificing, this kind of atonement? I can't tell you, but we do know that at exactly the right time, according to God's word, Jesus was born. Now, during that time, remember, there were prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah who were saying, look, it's not always going to be this way. There is a Messiah who's going to come. There's one who's going to come that's going to change everything. And he's going to redeem us. And it's going to, he's going to deliver us. And they were reading those words as a people all through those years. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah chapter 31, they were reading these words on a regular basis. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I won't have to write it on tablets, because I'm going to write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Think about that, folks. Listen, do you, 
what we just talked about, every year, shedding of blood, every year, atonement, every year, the legalistic practices that they went through for 1,600 years. And Jeremiah says, God's going to look at you and say, look, I'm going to forgive you and remember your sin no more. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in that group that was listening to that, I'd get excited. So it really blows your mind when you think about the fact that Jesus was born and began to live his life and he was rejected by so many people because he didn't fit what they thought was going to happen, right? He just wasn't what they thought the Messiah was going to be. So the word of God can speak to our hearts and I want the word of God from the New Testament to speak to our hearts and teach us who Jesus was, we already know, and how he changed when this new covenant began to be put into place. Matthew 5, 17, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this to the people, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That was a great word for those people who thought he's, he's coming and he's telling us the law is just going to go away. The law is not going to go away. It's going to be fulfilled. I'm going to be the one that pays everything that has to be paid for that law to be taken care of. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up at a church in a, in a, in a denomination where I just felt legalistically guilty all the time. There were so many rules so many things I couldn't do, so many things that I tried not to do and couldn't help but do them. And I would have to confess my sins and I couldn't even remember them all, so I'd make them up. And then I felt like I was confessing a lie. And it was just, it was crazy. And when I was 18 years old, just before I began my journey at Grand Canyon College, which is now Grand Canyon University, yeah, yeah, there you go. I accepted Jesus Christ to become the Savior and Lord of my life, and man, did he change everything. Not always just immediately, but over a period of time. He began to teach me that I was free from all that legalism. He set me free. My chains were gone because of Jesus fulfilling the law. John the Baptist, in the first chapter of John, he's been preparing the way for the Lord and as Jesus comes to get baptized, he looks up and sees him and says, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. John the Baptist realized this is the true Lamb. This is the true sacrifice who's come to give himself to be able to forgive the sin of the world. Now, the, the richness of that is so strong and yet no one really understood it when he was saying it then. So as we look at the New Testament and the life of Jesus, I wanted to go right to the book of Hebrews this morning because Hebrews is that book that I believe Paul wrote, but there's some controversy about that. So, you know, we can debate that. But it's a book that was written to the Jewish people to help them understand how the law had been fulfilled in Jesus. And when you read Leviticus and then you go to Hebrews, you look at it and say, oh, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you for sending Jesus for us, for me. And we learn from the New Testament in Hebrews, Jesus 
is our high priest. In Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Can you imagine being a person who was told all their life, you cannot go into the Holy of Holies even once a year because you're not a high priest. Let somebody else do that for you. Can you imagine that? And then to find out, I can go into the Holy of Holies anytime I want to because of Jesus Christ. I can go to God and say, God, forgive me. Thank you for loving me. I can approach his throne of grace with confidence and boldness because of who Jesus is in you and in me. That's good news. That'll preach. That's the gospel. And that's the way we ought to live. We ought to understand that. We also learn from Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. In Hebrews 9, 15, therefore, he is the mediator, Jesus, of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. He is representing the new covenant that fulfilled the law and started a whole new way of living for the follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus is also the sacrifice and he sacrificed once and for all in Hebrews 10, one through four. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, the law can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. The law can't do what needs to be done to make it perfect before the the eyes of God. Otherwise, wouldn't they have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then in Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, it says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which never take away sins. There are some who say the sacrifices in the Old Testament covered our sins, but didn't take them away. There are others who say, look, God forgave them. He forgave them. So there's kind of an argument about that. But The point here is that they couldn't be taken away as far as the east is from the west through those sacrifices. Jesus, by the, or let me back up, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, for by, listen, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. With one sacrifice, Jesus paid the price forever for us all. Now remember, in the Gospels, it says when Jesus died, there was thunder and the clouds darkened. And what happened to the veil? It was torn in half. 
torn asunder. You know what that veil was, right? You know what that veil was? It was the veil that we were talking about that kept the Holy of Holies from everyone in the world except the high priest. The scripture says when Jesus died, that veil was ripped asunder and the Holy of Holies was opened up because Jesus was paying the price and he was going into the Holy of Holies and saying to the Father, those who trust in me are mine and they can come to you now anytime that you, they want to. And God said, yes, yes. That's, a, that's exciting. Through Jesus, we can draw near to God, often and with confidence. In Hebrews 10, 19, 23, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Do you understand? Can you imagine if you were bound with legalism? Can you imagine that you've been bound with guilt and shame and you, you wondered, where's my forgiveness going to come? Can I be forgiven? Can you imagine reading these words? And he says, you can trust in him. Your hearts can be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Your consciences can be washed clean with the water of life. And you can hold fast to the hope because he who promised is faithful. What does God promise to those who trust Jesus? John three sixteen. he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Elementary scripture, but so true. That's what God promised. Through Jesus Christ, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you will have eternal life and life that is worth living, abundant life here. Romans 10, 13 says that everyone, everyone, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away, and all things become new. Jeremiah 31.34, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Psalm 103.12, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Listen. I ask the Lord this morning to just allow his word to speak into our hearts. There are so many more scriptures that we could share. And you ought to do some investigation because it'll blow your mind, encourage your heart to know all that God has done to take us from that place that we would have been if we had been wandering in the desert and following um, the tabernacle to where we are today. When the scripture says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, it, it's so true. It sets you free from being bound by legalism. It sets you free from having to believe in laws and principles. It doesn't set me free or you free to do everything or anything we want. It sets us free to be the person that God has called us to be and to not worry about those things, but worry about becoming more like Jesus and following him and trusting him and doing what he wants us to do as a person and as a people. 
And that's true freedom. God has done such a work through the shed blood of Jesus. Our forgiveness is complete and permanent. Remember in the Old Testament, atonement is temporary. Now in Jesus, atonement, forgiveness is complete and it's permanent. One pastor said it this way, and I love this. When we trust Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, our sins are transferred to him by our faith. He forgives our sins on the cross. And God forgets our sins and remembers them no more. That's a pretty good word. So as we come to a time of closing today, I don't know, I really don't know what God's saying to you. In my heart, as I studied this week, and I always get stressed out when I have to do this because Pastor Noe is so good. But my heart, my prayer this week was, God, show us in the day of atonement what you want us to know about where you are now in our lives, what your grace has done in our life. And I pray that through the scripture, you've seen the great work that God has done and is doing through Jesus Christ. And as we move into a time to respond to that, I wanna share a, a story that I heard, that I read actually, that a rabbi taught. And he told about two Buddhist monks who decided that they would go from their monastery to another monastery some ways away so they could study with a master who would teach them how to better meditate. And as they got ready to go, they agreed with each other. One was a little older and one was younger. And they said, look, let's take a vow of silence on this journey and not speak at all. And let's take a vow of chastity. And we won't, we won't touch a person of the other sex or talk to them. Um, let's just meditate and take those vows on our journey. And I believe we'll be honored and blessed. And they agreed to that. So they went on their journey and they went a little ways and they came to a young woman who was crying. And she said, oh, please help me. I have been lost. I lost my way and I didn't know how to get back to my village. But an older woman just told me that my village is just beyond the river. But I can't cross the river. I'm too afraid. It's too rapid. It scares me. I can't go across. Would you help me? And the young monk looked at her and just went, and the older monk didn't say a word. He just went over to her and picked her up and carried her across the river and set her down. And she went on her way. Well, three days later, I mean, they've been walking now in silence for three days. And finally, the young monk couldn't stand it anymore. And he said, okay, okay, I got to say this. I've had enough. We took a vow of silence and a vow of chastity. And right off the bat, you broke the vow when you touched that woman and carried her across the river. I can't believe it. And the older monk looked at him and said, I carried that woman for three minutes. You've been carrying her for three days. And I think when I read that story, what came to my heart and mind was, John, 
I think God spoke to me on my heart. What are you carrying? Maybe there's things that you want to point the fingers at others for carrying, but you've been carrying this with you for a long time. Is there a sin? Is there guilt? Is there shame? So at this point in our service this morning, as we get ready to sing, we're going to give you a chance to respond. And I don't, I don't know what God wants to do, but we'll leave that up to him. But would you please ask yourself the question, if you're a believer and you know Jesus and you know the understanding of the forgiveness that he's brought through the cross and you understand that you have access to the throne of grace as often as you want it and you can cry out to God, Abba, Father, which literally means Daddy. It's like you have the ability to crawl up into the lap of God through Jesus and say, Father, please help me. And if we haven't done that, if you haven't done that and you're carrying guilt and shame and rejection and it's beginning to stir in your heart and you get angry, frustrated, you can come to the cross again today. You can go to God say, God, please forgive me. Some of you may want to do that and you may want to have somebody pray with you in just a moment and we'll be here to do that. If you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, just please know that whatever you've carried your life, whatever you've done in your life that you think disqualifies you from being a, a a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ, there's just not anything you can do that his blood doesn't cover. He has, out of love for you and me, once and for all, shed his blood on the cross, been raised from the grave, and gives us life and victory as we ask him to become the savior, the, the leader, the guide of our life. If you're here this morning, and God has laid it on your heart. That is who I am, and that's what I need. I would encourage you in just a moment when we start to sing to come down the aisle, take the hand of a person and say, I need Jesus. I've been carrying stuff too long. And they'll help you know what the next step is. And if you, if you just can't do that, then find that person next to you who's your friend who knows Christ and say, help me. I, I, I'm carrying some stuff it's getting really, really heavy. And I've been carrying it a long time. Your chains can be gone and you can be set free. God has ransomed us through Jesus Christ.